Yeah, talking about liquidiv.com, promo code Nooners at checkouts. You see us drinking it on the show every single day. Where would we be, Japes, without Liquid IV in our lives? Dehydrated, we'd have headaches, we'd be tired, yeah. exhausted. Yep. Not be able to get through the day, get through work. We'd be sick all the time. I'd be hungover. <laughs> Every single day. Love the liquid IV. Liquid IV hydrates you with benefits like electrolytes, essential vitamins, and clinically tested nutrients with three times the electrolytes of the leading sports drinks out there, plus eight vitamins and nutrients in a single stick. It's clear why Liquid IV is the number one powdered hydration brand in America. It's just a little tiny stick full of powder. Pop it in 16 ounces of water. You're good to go. What's your reckon, Jabes? Double or triple hydrated? I would say double. I'd say triple. What? Nay. I'll say triple today. Huge fan of Liquid IV. Turn your ordinary water into extraordinary hydration. With Liquid IV, get 20% off your first order of Liquid IV when you go to liquidiv.com and use the code Nooners at checkout. That's 20% off your first order when you shop better hydration today using promo code Nooners at liquidiv.com. Yeah! Talking about expressvpn.com slash Nooners. Love ExpressVPN. You've got to have a VPN in today's world or you're not living your life right, brother. People are going to start stealing your passwords, all your bank info, everything. And I know most of you are probably thinking, uh, why don't you just use incognito mode? Let me tell you something. Incognito mode doesn't hide your activity. Doesn't matter what mode you use or how many times you clear your browsing history, your internet service provider can see every single website you've ever visited. That's why when I'm at home, I never go online without using Express VPN. Huge fan. I've had it for years. ExpressVPN is an app that reroutes your internet connection through their secure servers so your ISP can't see the sites you visit. ExpressVPN also keeps all of your information secure by encrypting 100% of your data with the most powerful encryption available. Most of the time, I don't even realize I have ExpressVPN on. It runs seamlessly in the background uh, of all my computers and my laptops and my phones, and it's super easy to use. All you have to do is tap one button, and you're protected. ExpressVPN is available on all your devices, like I was saying, phones, computers, uh, even your smart TV. So there's no excuse for you not to be using it right now. Protect your online activity today with the VPN rated number one by CNET and Mashable. Visit my exclusive link, expressvpn.com slash nooners, and you can get an extra three months free on a one-year package. That's expressvpn.com slash nooners. Expressvpn.com slash nooners. Head there to learn more. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Ross Patterson Revolution! Brought to you by BlackRifleCoffee.com. Welcome to a very 
very special episode of Ross Patterson Revolution today. I got one of my beef fries on. We've uh, we've been friends for shit close to twenty years. He is not only a fantastic actor, but he is an extremely talented country musician. His name is Christian Kane. You might know him from Leverage. Um, he's currently on The Librarians on TNT. He was also on Angel. This motherfucker has been on your screen for twenty years of your life, and you probably you probably don't even know. Um, he's been in a ton of films as well, um, and uh, it, it'll shock you how many he's done. And we're going to dive into his whole career, but, but quickly at the top, we've got uh, some sponsors who pay for this whole shit to be on the air. First and foremost, I'm talking about BlackRifleCoffee.com. BRCC, look, you see me wearing the, the hoodies, uh, the t-shirts, the hats, their apparel all the time. Big fan of BlackRifleCoffee.com, even bigger fan of their coffee. They got K-Cups, they got bags. It is a premium roast-to-order coffee company. They're out of Salt Lake City. They make it in-house, and then they ship it right to your fucking doorstep. So there's none of this, like, rebagging or... Or they're just they're just throwing it up in the air and trying to make coffee happen. This is a this is a big ass company now. They're a fucking huge worldwide brand. Uh, go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Get yourself a subscription of the Month Club, which is what I have. Um, their K cups are about four four dollars cheaper than Sam's Club. And since Sam's Club doesn't exist anymore, you're gonna need to get your coffee from somewhere. Uh, so go to BlackRifleCoffee.com. Use the promo code Revolution for twenty percent off. Next up, we got straightrazors.com. These products that I'm pointing to right now, this is straightrazors.com. They're making this shit in-house by themselves, and it's arguably the finest shaving equipment one can have. Uh, Yes, they're straight razors. And look, it's a little tricky to get used to, but once you do, you'll never go back. They've also got the safety razors which are incredible, and they'll help you get used to that type of blade. Uh, but they also got products for dudes. They got shampoo. They got conditioner. They've got aftershave. They've got the number one ranked cologne in the world, Smolder. Huge fan of straightrazors.com. If you go to their site and check out their shaving kits, best in the biz. Best products they have in the business, in my opinion. Use them every single day. Go to straightrazors.com. Use the promo code REVOLUTION for 20% off. Get yourself a, a nice shaving kit. Treat yourself. You've earned it. Uh, last but not least, we've got uh, StrikeForceEnergy.com. You see these boxes littered everywhere. You see the fucking 750 milliliter bottle that just rests here. Drink this shit all the time. Uh, I had some before I went to the gym this morning. This is grape. Um, they got four flavors. They got uh, grape. They got original orange. Um, and they've also got lemon, which is a nice, a nice little pre-spring drink. Uh, I'm kidding. It's nowhere close to spring. That's that's wishful thinking on my part. Uh, as I as I freeze here, but uh, go to go to strikeforceenergy.com. Get a fucking nice little tin pouch to to re-energize. Get yourself alive and alert again. Uh, type in the promo code Revolution for twenty percent off. They also have a subscription on the Month Club, which is which is fucking awesome. Uh, tonight's guest is uh, again. You've probably seen him on your television or movie screen for the last 20 years. His projects are uh, a laundry list. I'm going to go through them real quick. Leverage. Um, He was on that for, fuck, 77 episodes of Leverage. I want to say it was five or six seasons that thing went. Uh, He's on The Librarians, which I believe is in like season four now uh, of The Librarians, which is, again, man, you go from boom, five, six seasons worth of Leverage to boom. Four seasons of, of librarians. 
dating back, he was on Close to Home for two seasons. Uh, he was on Angel from 99 to 2004. That for five seasons. He's literally been everywhere that you've probably watched television at some point in your life or, or movies. Secondhand Lions. I remember from Secondhand Lions with uh, Robert Duvall. Um, that was fucking awesome. Uh, big, big fan of Christian. Also been beef fries with him for, again, close to 20 years. And uh, I can't wait to talk to him. I think if I, memory serves me correctly, we met auditioning in a movie called Summer Catch with Freddie Prince Jr. Uh, and Jessica Beale. Who, look, the Beelster at the time was my, that was my jam. Uh, heavy in the Beelster. Uh, she, got, she got a little too thin for me growing up. She worked out a little too much. And uh, she, look, she ended up marrying some no-name, some fucking stroke dick uh, named Justin Timberlake. Never, that, that, what did that guy do? Does he have a podcast? Doubt it. I doubt Timberlake has a podcast. But we met on that audition, and it turned out we had a mutual friend as well. So we all became best friends. And uh, yeah, he ended up getting Summer Catch. And then we become friends off of that. And I just, I, again, dude, I see him in another audition two years later for a movie called Just Married. Um, it was down to him, I, and one other person for that as well. Uh, and, then, uh, and then another show called Las Vegas uh, with Josh Dumel. That was a, that was a dangerous, sexy show. Uh, didn't get that either. He, he beat me out for those. Um, not sure, I'm not sure if I beat him out for anything, to be honest with you, now that I'm thinking about it. But uh, I'm going to give him a call right now, and then uh, we'll pop into the show, shall we? Christian Kane, how are you, my man? Doing good, man. What are you doing? Why? Call you why? Call, <laughs> call, we're doing this today? Call me why. I, I, I love how you sound like you were on a bender last night. Did you, did you go hard last night at the Lakers game? I actually didn't. I actually didn't, no. But the Lakers did win, so it was great. They did. They did win. Uh, yeah. well, welcome to the yeah. show. Uh, before you came on, I was telling the audience, man, you've, you've been one of my beef fries for, uh, for close to 20 years at this point. And um, I believe we met in an audition for Summer Catch. Do you remember that? Dude, we did. We did. Oh, my oh, God. Yeah. We, can go even further. we can go even further than that. We did. We met on audition for Summer Catch. We also met on audition for Just Married. We did. We did. Just Married. Just married. And, and you, I was telling the audience before you got on, I don't think, and then uh, Las Vegas, we were up, we were both up for a get, like a guest spot role on Las Vegas. You beat me out for everything. I don't think I beat you out for one single thing. Well, that's, well, that's not true. I don't have my own <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I wish I would have known about, I wish I would have known about that whole industry because that would have been great, man. But I yeah, know, well, right? Listen, man. Yeah, look. It we, wasn't the fact that you were too tall and you were too good looking, and that was just how it went, man. So probably. you know, they needed the they needed the guy that was you know five ten and and, uh, and 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 wasn't quite as strikingly handsome as you. <laughs> also, you know, if you think about all the stuff, there was already a tall blonde guy that was like really really good looking in all those films, and so there you go. There is who God who beat me out? I think it was uh, it was Matthew Lillard in um, in Summer Catch. No, it was uh, it was my good buddy Mark Blukas. Ah, that's right. It was Blukas. I ended up doing. I, I did yeah. a movie with Blukas later on. Uh, he's a great guy. Great guy. He's such a he's such a good guy. I can't say enough about Mark. Mark's an unbelievable guy. There's a there's a whole story. I I ended up uh, the only reason why I was on Angel is because I lost the role to Mark Blukas on Buffy to play Riley. Really? And we we both tested against each other, and he won because he's you know he's Mark Blukas. 
Yeah. And I ended up getting switched over to the attorney, you know, the lawyer on uh, on Angel. And uh, Joss Whedon was very nice about that. And it was just supposed to be a one-off. And I ended up, you know, on there for five seasons. And so I owe, uh, I owe a lot of my career to Mark Lucas, who obviously beat you out for some catch. So there you go. I know. I know. I, uh, I'm a bit, look, I'm a big fan of Lucas. And, and like, if you know that guy personally, uh, there is, there is not a nicer guy on the, the planet. World. I know. Just the nicest guy on the planet, man. Just a, just a solid, solid cat, man. And, um, he was, uh, he's, he's, yeah, he's, he's, He's soft to the earth. He really is. And, and I, I don't know how he stays in that incredible of a shape, but goddamn, that guy's jacked to, still to this day. What does he do? Played base, play, play basketball for Wake Forest. Ah, that's that. You don't lose feel, it. I honestly feel, feel humble about telling you this story. He literally, like, he played basketball for Wake Forest. He was a, he was a three-point shooter. And when everyone else, um, I don't think Mark would get upset about me telling this story. He, When everyone else went to the party, he was the designated driver. And, um... I gotta think about if I could tell this story. I'm gonna tell the story anyway. He was a designated driver, so he would take everybody to the party, and then he would he would he would drop them off, and then he would go to the basketball court, and he would just hit like like three pointers for three or four hours, and uh, and then go back and pick everybody up. That that's how salt of the earth he is. He's a really good guy, man. Yeah, he would just that's pick hilarious. Drunk ass up and bring him home. I get, look, I can see that. I can definitely see that. He he's one of yeah, the good he's, ones. He's out. an athlete. Yeah. One of the he's one of the good ones out in Hollywood where where you're just like all right man you could be he could be a movie star or he could be working on a farm and he's still gonna be the same person. You cannot root for him. No, uh, yeah, I'm I'm, I'm yeah. with you. I'm with you on that. I was pissed about Summer Cash. The interview's been about promoting Mark Lucas. I love that. I <laughs> and it, <laughs> and if you haven't seen, because I was up for that role as well, but ended up, Mark ended up getting it, and I ended up. Uh, I ended up calling the uh, the director who had auditioned for it. And I said, "Hey, man, is there any way you could just like give me a uh, yeah? I'll, I'll play the shortstop." And he's like, "The shortstop doesn't have any lines. He's not doing." And I said, "I'll show up every day." And uh, and Mike Tolan, who I love and, and respect dearly, ended up giving me the uh, the role in um in, in Summer Catch. And it's just it's a really it's a it's a Cinderella story after that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for real. Um, look, you've had, I was telling the audience, you've had an unbelievable career. Uh, let's start from the beginning. Um, where, where are you from originally? I'm from, I'm from Texas. I was born in Texas. I was raised in Oklahoma and Texas back and forth and all that kind of stuff. And uh, grew up in o- Odessa, Texas. Oh, yeah. Permian. Yeah. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, just um, kind of back and forth daddy was in the oil business and so we uh we moved around wherever the oil was and uh it was a it was a good it was a good it was a good upbringing yeah it was a little bit tough being uh you know i was always the new kid on the block i was always the new kid at school went to five different elementary schools oh shit um that's 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 one for every year you get beat up a lot Mm. (laughs) i can imagine coming in well, because you're always like trying to like talk to the girl that you think, oh my God, she's a beautiful girl. So you try to talk to her, and then you realize that somebody has a history with her for two or three years, and I didn't have that history, and so that's an ass woman. Yeah, yeah, it it always is, but it did it. It made you tough, though. It does. Yeah, it makes you tough real quick. And then, uh, did you you went to University of Oklahoma, didn't you? I did. I went to the University of Oklahoma for a little bit. It was uh, it was it was amazing. I mean, it was just, it was, I think the best looking in the best looking in the women in the world go to the university of Oklahoma. I, I can't, I can't stress that enough. I, uh, I literally walked across the street from high school to go to college. That's uh, how close it was. Oklahoma. 
That's how close it was. Wow. Literally, that's how close it was. And so, yeah, and, and it was, um, you know, I grew up with OU in my blood. I grew up with all that stuff. I went to, um, I think I went to Norman. I finally landed in Norman when I was in the eighth grade. And just that was a college town, man. It was, a, it was a, it, you know, sooner born, sooner bred. And then just literally, that's how close it was, walked across the street to go to college. So. Man, how how so before we we move on, how pissed were you with that Oklahoma game? We chatted at halftime, and you guys were destroying Georgia, and I was like, man, congratulations on making the national championship. And you said back to me, you were like, well, it's only the first half, and I was like, yeah, this game looks like it's over to me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's it's it's. I was talking to Crawford at the same time, a good buddy of ours uh, that we grew up with that a lot of people don't know about, Clayne Crawford, who plays Martin Riggs on Lethal, Lethal Weapon. Weapon yep. uh, that's, our, that's our boy, man. It was me, Ross, and Crawford for a long time. A long, long time. Many and, a year. And, he, yeah, and he's, he's, yeah. he's been on the show as well. Um, so, yeah. so the audience loves him, yeah. So I was talking to Crawford, and at some point we were texting, and uh, you know, Alabama didn't play till the next day. I literally said, "I'm not going to talk to you by for two days, so don't don't text me, don't call me." And he goes, "Ha ha, love you, boy. I'll, you know, I understand." <laughs> I was so upset, man. I just couldn't believe that they that they uh, that they didn't win. And I don't want to call it dropping the ball. I still think that I just think I still think we could have won the national championship. I'm, I'm one of those guys, man. I just I'm, I'm so upset about that game and it, and it makes me so mad yeah you know it's funny I, I talked about this last week on 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 my show here that i think um because look with with baker mayfield as much as he was i don't know hated so to speak i think you needed a star in that national championship game and i think i think oklahoma would have beaten both I, I both of those teams that was a sloppy game uh, in that championship game monday night Halftime and at halftime, obviously the game the game became something else than uh, than what it was. But I'm telling you right now, they couldn't have beat us. Neither one of those teams could have beat us on that day. And I know that everyone's going to disagree yep. with me and say all this other stuff. But you couldn't have beat Oklahoma on that day. We sh- we sh- we literally, and I know that people are going to disagree, but we should have won the national championship. We had we had talent. We had we had stuff. What they weren't doing, what they were not doing, either team, either team. They weren't doing what we could have gotten away with. Right. Uh, we'll, we'll, throw, we'll throw in the middle. We'll throw downfield. All this other stuff. It was such a. It was such a, a closed, a closed game, and everyone was being so protective, and that's not what we do. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I think I think you're right, and I'll, I'll I'll agree with you on this one. I think Oklahoma would have won the national championship game for whatever reason. That Georgia team. Once they got to the big game, losing, especially losing in the second half against all freshmen who have never played before, was shocking. And that there's no way they would have beat Baker Mayfield on that day. I don't. I don't think. No, they would have. And you know what? We 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 would have scored. We would have scored a lot of points in the first half. I got to be honest. And and neither team really really went out there and went. You know what? Let's go for it. Right. And that's kind of what we do. Which is which is why I love this new coach. I really honestly love this new coach. I don't want to say anything bad about Bob Stoops. He Bob Stoops did a lot of stuff for us. Did a lot of stuff for us. But he got to put in positions to where he didn't win. Yeah. Yeah. I, he didn't. You know, he got put in positions, and this guy. This guy, you can say the same thing about this guy, but he didn't quit. He's, he's, it's not going to be like that. And I just honestly think that he would have coached through what was going on uh, when Alabama played Georgia. 
Yeah, and look, I, I think Oklahoma's got a bright, bright future. So uh, you guys got a good one in that coach, and I think you guys are going to be back again next year. You know, uh, replacing yep. Baker is going to be tough. But uh, so after after Oklahoma, what made you decide to move to LA and get into acting then? Well, I always want to be an actor. I mean, I, I did. I like I said, my daddy grew up. He 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 moved us around a lot, and one, some of my best friends were the movies. And I just, you know, mama would drop me off. I'd see a couple of films. It was, it, I just, I just knew, I, I didn't know what I wanted to do in life. You know, I was always the new kid on the block and all this other kind of stuff. And I just, I, I wanted to be a Navy SEAL. Then I wanted to be a bartender. Then I wanted to be Top Gun. You know, I don't mean yeah. to make a bunch of Tom Cruise references, yeah. but, you know, I, I, but, but whatever Tom Cruise was doing, I wanted to do what he was doing, except for joining Scientology. And <laughs> so, but the, but the, uh, but the thing is, is that I just always wanted, and I said, man, if I'm an actor, I could do all that stuff. And I found that out at a young age. I found that out about 15. I was like, um, man, if I just do this, then I can get to, I can get to be whatever I want. And so it became, so I started going to the movies by myself. I really like every Sunday night, no matter if I had a girlfriend, no matter who was with me, no matter what Sunday nights were my own. And I just went to the movies by myself. Yeah. And you know, it's funny. I, I did the same thing. I did the same thing. Like I was going to the movies yeah. by myself and I, and that continued for years, even, even when we lived in LA together. Yeah. Well, exactly. And and that's my whole poem is that was my acting class. And I, and I always said, and I hate to say this about, I hate to say this about other people because I don't know what their gig is. I don't know what they're looking for. I've never taken an acting class only because I'm not going to, I'm not going to spend $500 a month to take lessons from someone who couldn't hack in the business in the first place. Right. Do you understand what I'm saying? I mean, it's I, like, I I'm get not gonna, it. You're like, here's how you act. I'm like, how do you know? Cause if you were, if you knew how to do it, then you wouldn't be doing this crap. <laughs> so it's, it's, a, it's a good point. It. There's a, there's a, there's a, a, a fine line between people who believe in coaches and people who don't yep. believe in coaches. Um, and that's my whole thing, man. And that's why, that's why I really honestly, like, I don't want to say anything bad about, people that, that, that really rely on that and stuff like that, because I think there is a good thing, but also, I also think there's a thing where it's, it's either in you or it's not in you. You know, you can't, you can't teach stuff that I just honestly believe in. with the acting stuff. You can't teach stuff that that's, that's not going to be there. You have to either have feelings or you don't have feelings. And it's all about feel. And it's all about everything else. And so, but the, the, the point is, the point I'm trying to make is, is that you, I didn't, I didn't Sunday nights, was my acting class. I watched everybody. And, you know, acting is stealing. You steal stuff from other people. Absolutely. So every, everything I've done, I've been a thief. You know, because I'm always stealing from people that I watched on screen. You know, and you learn from them. You you, you pull from them. You do everything else. And, and I just... Uh, that's the best acting class you could ever get. And they, they may have gotten it from somewhere. And a lot of these people will tell you they got it from an acting teacher. But a lot of that stuff is just self-taught, man. I mean, you know, it's just you, you either have it or you don't. It's just it's the same thing as painting. It's the same thing as playing guitar, which I'm not a good guitar player. I play guitar, but it's only just to get through what I'm doing because I want to be able to sing. You know, it's just you, you either have it or you do not. Yeah, I, I, I believe... I believe the same to a certain degree where it's the same with comedy and improv and things like that, where everybody's like, Oh my God, you're, you're hilarious. Or, you know, you're always so quick. It's like, and people are like, well, I'm taking classes on that. It's like, eh, I, I don't, I, I don't really think that you can, um, you know, they can teach you that's, the basics. The whole point. The improv, 
improv I'm okay with. Improv I'm okay with. An improv class or an improv uh, a school like you like you've done and all that kind of yeah. stuff. And the, and the way that your comedy is, I can't do that, man. I know that's not in my my DNA. I just know that that's not. I've I've known you for so many goddamn years. Yeah. And I know that I I cannot do what you do, no matter what. And it's just the fact that I could take classes and it's never going to teach me. You yeah, know what I mean? it's either, I, it's either yeah. Ross or it's yeah, exactly. I a hundred percent agree, and I and I feel the same way about stand up comedy too, where it's like, man, you can't take a stand up comedy class and then and go up and and crush like it's just it's in you or it's not in you. You can either go up and on the stage or not. Um, uh, you know, I, I think acting classes are fine for teaching some of the basics and all that other stuff, but uh, as far as getting the part and getting the role, um. I I don't know because it's a different feeling inside an audition room than it than what it is when you're in a class. Uh, speaking, no, yeah, no, I, I would I would I would absolutely I would absolutely highly recommend taking an audition in class because auditions and you can testify to this auditions are completely 100 percent different than when you're actually on camera. Oh yeah, it's 100 percent, and and trying to get a role in an audition is is way way different than when you're you're on a set actually physically yeah, acting in the movie. Absolutely, it's 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 two different things, man. It's literally yeah, it's night and day. So what what was your first big break, and how long were you in LA until that happened? Man, I I was I was very fortunate. It's kind of a Cinderella story. I I literally came out here. I didn't know one person, not one person, and um, uh, I, I I did I didn't know one person who gave me a shot. I was a bartender in Laguna Beach because I wanted to move to California, so I came out by myself. I was a bartender in Laguna Beach. Ended up coming up to uh, to Los Angeles every once in a while just to try to meet people, you know. But it's like it's really hard to meet girls or guys. Yeah, as and a, that's as a, as a single dude. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I didn't speak speak American Express at the time, so everybody, you know, it's just like LA is such a such a money rich crowd, and um, I ended up going. I ended up getting a job from a casting director. As the PA okay. on a show called Fire Company 132. It was a Fox show. And I was an office PA. And so I used to just like, I, I just, man, I just had the, the best time in the world. I was, I was, I was, I was up at 6 a.m. and I wouldn't close down until sometimes 2 a.m. I was getting no sleep, but I was on a TV show, but I was an office PA. So I was just the errand boy. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I met, and then I met, um, I met a good friend of mine who introduced me to, who is still my manager to this day, Stacey Boniello. And she had just moved her office. I helped her move her office into, from being an assistant, from a good friend of mine, Brian Swarstrom, who, uh, who I, I believe still is the uh, one of the heads of, at uh, Endeavor, uh, partner at Endeavor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and I moved Stacey and I said, I said, listen, man, I'll, I'll, make, uh, I'll make runs for you if you send me on auditions. And... Stacy didn't laugh at me, but everyone else laughed at me. They're like, "All right, whatever." And six months later, I was lead on a TV show. It just doesn't happen like wow. that. Wow. Joseph Joseph Middleton, yeah, uh, who was a casting director, helped me out very, so much. It was ridiculous. He brought me in for something that I think was already cast, but he just wanted to see if I could audition. And that's why I bring up the importance of auditioning. Um, he just saw, and so I didn't get that role. And then the next role that I got was Fame LA, and Joseph helped me on that audition. And, um, and I, and it, I got fame LA and it yeah. was, uh, it was like not fame in New York, but fame, you know, LA. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, and I was, it was, it was not a pilot. It was 22 episodes on air. So I literally, and I've said it before, I, I went from eating the can of ranch style beans a day to, uh, 
to a little bit of money, man. And everyone else bought a car, and I bought. I finally bought a bed because I was sleeping <laughs> on the floor. <laughs> I'm dead serious. And uh, and you know, it was just it was kind of like I've I've been very fortunate because I've I've not had an off year since then, man. I work hard. I'm from the old. I have two mottos. Uh, number one is ninety percent of life is showing up. Yep. That's Woody Allen. And number two is you learn to fight by fighting, and that's Bruce Lee. You learn to dance by dancing. You learn to cook by cooking. You learn to act by acting. It's one of those things. And so I just, you know, it's, it's, you know, you learn to fight by fighting. It's Bruce Lee. I, no, absolutely. One of my favorite Woody Allen quotes is uh, "Happy Father's Day." Um, totally kidding. Uh, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I know. It's very. It's very, it's, a, it's a dangerous role when you quote Woody Allen. You I know. Be able to back it up. It's in the whole story. <laughs> I think back it up because it's like yeah, because you can't really quote Woody Allen. Yeah. Anymore. <laughs> it's get, look. It's getting. It's getting tough to quote any male in Hollywood these days. I'm um, not going to get into that, but no. I understand exactly what you're talking about. Yeah, oh exactly. boy, it's it's a it's a fucking bloodbath out there. Uh, so you yeah. get you get fame LA. How how long does that go? It, it goes what uh, one season? It went one season. Yeah, but it was twenty two episodes, and who gives a crap? Because yeah, exactly. I had no money. I had nothing, and I was like, you know, yeah. And then right after that, I got uh, I was fortunate enough to uh, Aaron Spelling hired me for a show called Rescue Seven Seven. Man, and I'm not sure how I got that because I tried to screw that up so many times. Um, but I ended up getting it and, uh, I got to work with Aaron Spelling and not a lot of people could say that. And I tell you, if, if he's not one of the best men in the world, he's just, he's such a, an unbelievable, unbelievable person. He literally is an unbelievable, it, 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 it I had to go in his office every day because I always changed my hair and did all this other kind of stuff. So he would call me in. And I had to go in his office. He was like, you know, and I, I don't want to get into that because I know that you're on a a time schedule. No, here, no, we're, we're, we have no time at all. So we have no time schedule, okay, no so limits went, on this show. So, so we, we can in, talk for hours. So I literally like wanted to do the Clooney because Clooney was rocking it on ER. You Great, know what I mean? Killing it. Yeah. So, yeah. So I had this one hair. Then I went to the Clooney. So I did the Clooney and then Aaron loved it. So then I would kind of spike it up a little bit and kind of wanted to be the, you know, the different thing. And you have to understand the show is, is literally like it, it was, I was a, I was a paramedic, but I was like a, a, uh, I was, I was shooting from the hip, you know what I mean? It was gutter medicine. Yeah. And so I wanted to be like the wild cat, you know what I mean? Which I was on the show, but I still, so I would spike the hair up and I would go in and I would get a call and Aaron would call me into his office and he'd be like, Hey, how you doing? I'm like, hey, what's going on? He's like, we're going to take the hair back down. I'm like, okay, cool. And I, when I walked into his office, you have to understand this, shag carpet, shag carpet, <laughs> this huge thing, this this little that I love to death, this little frail man would get up from around the desk, give me a hug, sit back down and say, Christian, we got to change the hair. And I'm like, okay, cool. So I would go back to the set and I would change the hair. Then I would change it again. And then I'd get a call. And like, you got to go see Aaron. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm in trouble. You know, and he had a guy there. And I'm, I mean, if you've ever worked for uh, Aaron Spelling, you know his name. His name is Duke. And he's not somebody to be toyed with. And Duke would be standing there. And then I gave Aaron <laughs> a hug on the shag carpet. And Aaron would, you know, and then we got to change the hair. And I was like, okay. And I'm like, you know, we're not having a problem again. I'm like, no. And I was like, absolutely not. And then I would change it again, and I would get called back into the office. And I realized at some point that maybe he, he did care about the hair, 
But at the same time, he knew that it was a long because he was mid Wilshire. So I'd have to go all the way down. He would call me out of my stuff, and I'd have to go all the way down to Midwilshire just to deal with this conversation. <laughs> and Duke, Duke would be there, and Duke is not somebody you want to mess with. And But it was still it was still Aaron Spelling, and he would get up out of his chair. He would come over. He would give me a hug. And to a sense, I started just wanting to go hang out with the guy because it was Aaron Spelling. You know what I mean? Like when they called me in the office, I think they thought it was a bad thing. But I got to go hang out with Aaron Spelling then who is an icon in this town and such a sweet, sweet, sweet man, man. And gave me a job. And uh, it was one of the coolest things that I've, that I've been a part of just because there's not a lot of people in this industry anymore that unless you're a little bit older that know how much Aaron Spelling meant to the television industry. Yeah. The guy was, the guy uh, was a Titan. I mean, if yeah. arguably of all time he created you let's, know he's one of the biggest the television love boat charlie's angels yeah let's go through the dino 210 melrose place i mean you, you you have to understand who the guy is and it's just yeah and i and i was in his office and every time i came in even when i was in trouble he gave me a hug and, and i then I, I loved him to death that's great let, let me ask you this uh, to to close up rescue 77 uh was was the character <laughs> was the character name wick lobo the greatest character <laughs> name you've ever had <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was Wick Lobo, and it was uh, it was it was really strange because. <laughs> Thank you for that, Ross. I appreciate that. Well, well yeah. here's the thing: no. if you have crazy hair, I don't understand what Aaron Spelling was thinking when it's like, "Hey, the character's name is Wick Lobo. You should probably have like the craziest hair of all time." Yeah, no, and, and you know, and the, and the whole thing is, it's so funny you bring that up because the guy I just got done playing was Flyboy Leggett. <laughs> <laughs> On Fame LA. So it's really, it's really, yeah, I was like going, are you freaking kidding me, man? And then, you know, and then, uh, yeah, Wick, Wick Lobo. And then the, the other, the other character that I got right after that was Lindsay McDonald. Oh, now we're getting, Angel. Yeah, now we're getting into Angel. <laughs> You said we are getting an angel, but I'm just saying, like, it's like I could not win. I could not win with names. <laughs> and I mean, let's let's jump a little bit further, and we can go into angel. But I'm just let's jump a little bit further. My next character was Elliot Spencer, and I and I got a story for you on that one, man. <laughs> oh. So how, how did you come about Angel? Um, was it just like a you know your stock standard audition from your agent? You didn't know anything about it, or did you know? Did you were you a Buffy fan? Before. No, I knew I was. I was actually really good friends with Boreanaz at the time. David Boreanaz, who played Angel. Oh, all right. And so I knew um, David was a very good friend of mine, and uh, we were hanging out and stuff like that. And I knew that that he had gotten his own show. Gotcha, gotcha. Um, it, it, it had it hadn't happened yet, but he, he had just left, and he had gotten his own show. And so I again, we'll bring it back to Mark Lucas. I tested against Mark Lucas for Riley. Mm. Um. Which, which, which the whole the whole story gets very incestual because me and me and um, so 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 I tested against Mark Lucas. He got Riley. I didn't. He was Mark Riley was supposed to be the replacement for Angel. You know what I mean? Like that too. That too. Sarah Michelle Geller would right. would end up you know really really liking and all this other kind of stuff. And he was supposed to be the tough guy and all this other kind of stuff. And uh, and I thought Mark did such a great job with that, but I didn't get the role. So. I didn't tell David about this. Me and David were really good friends at the time, but I ended up 
Josh said, okay, so we're actually David Greenwald, I should say, David Greenwald, who was also, you know, co-producer and um, co-writer and co-creator of Angel, brought me in to play Lindsay McDonald. Gotcha. And it was just supposed to be a one-off type thing. It was just supposed to be a one-off type thing. And he ended up, he ended up making it five seasons, this character. I did the pilot. That was it. That was the, I felt like, honestly, the uh, consolation prize. Yeah. For not getting the big role that everybody, you know, grew to love is Riley on, on Buffy the Vampire Slayer. And I had no idea. And so I did one episode. Then they called me back like four or five weeks later. They called me back and said, can you come back in and play this role? I was like, yeah, that's fine. That's, you know, all this other stuff. And then... I, that, you know, just, that just kept going just, for five years of your life. Like, hey, can you come back just, in and do it this? It just role? kept going, and I quit. I quit. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's not. It's not even that. I, you know, they cut off my hand, so and they cut off my right hand. Yeah, easy, man. You know me. You, I was around you during that time. You know how much I hated that. Oh <laughs> like, yeah, yeah. You know, you cut off when you cut off your right hand. There's not a lot of things you can do. <laughs> When you're used to your right hand. Yeah, it limits is, you a lot. Way. It limits you a lot in it television. Does. Yeah. But why but, <laughs> but by the way, it's you can't eat. No. I'm used to eating with my right you know what I mean? Like even a fork. So I'm I mean <laughs> just saying. You so you so, had to go to lunch so, every day eating with your left hand because they you know, wardrobe and makeup probably didn't want to fuck with yeah, that exactly, hand. Man, because it was it was it was uh yeah, because they put on a plastic glove. This is gonna really good. They put on a plastic glove, and then they and then they and then they put plaster on, and then they painted it, and then they put another plastic glove. They painted it, so it was it was forty five minutes in the in the chair. Yeah, you know, putting putting this glove on, so they can't take it off during lunch because lunch is either thirty minutes or an hour. <laughs> <laughs> so, so you're stuck with that. I know where you're. I know where you're, I know where you're going with it. Uh, I, I, there. Look, there's a lot of downtime so, in the trailer, and if you don't have your right hand. <laughs> It, it is. Exactly, but it is. when you only have thirty minutes, thank you. But when you only have thirty minutes and there's only forty-five, and it takes forty-five minutes to put back on, you cannot. Can't do it. Yeah. Off. Yeah. No. So I had like a fake hand, and I looked over at Tim Minear, and Tim Minear is is an unbelievable writer. He wrote really, he he wrote really great stuff for me. But I looked at him and I said, "What are you doing?" He'll remember this story. I said, "What are you doing?" He goes, "And I, I would not be killed. I would not be killed. Like other people died." But my manager at the at the time, still my manager today, would would be like, "Does he die?" And they go, "Yeah, he dies." And he goes, "And he's not showing up because I was I was re- reoccurring, right?" So he's not showing up because I wasn't going to show up and just let you kill me when I had no fake hand. And by the way, let me explain. Let me let me reiterate the fact that I'm on a show with superheroes, with vampires <laughs> and people that can fly around and all this other stuff, and I'm a lawyer with one hand. <laughs> You know what I mean? I was on the coolest show in the world, and everybody's like, man, you were on the coolest show in the world. But you have to understand the character that I was playing. I was not having any fun whatsoever. No, he was a, he was a handless lawyer is who he was. Yeah, exactly, um, man. And, and the downtime was horrible. <laughs> and so, and so, <laughs> Ross, stop. I know where you're going. Stop, dude. You no, no. I've stopped with right. that. I just... I, I've, I've, known I've, this cat. I've known Ross for too long. I've known this cat for too long. I know where he's trying to take me. I, I picture is, you walking around just miserable with his no hands. Yeah. <laughs> Not really wanting to talk to people. Everybody else is chipper as fuck because they got awesome roles. And it would have been cool if it was a fist because I could have punched somebody. If it wasn't, the hand was sticking like straight out like a, like a, like a, like a horrible... <laughs> It was, it was just, you know, like a scarecrow. Yeah, like a scarecrow hand. It wasn't, 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 it was
wasn't even a good karate chop because it was placed wrong. You know what I mean? And it, was, it wasn't in a, in a position where I could slap anybody because of the position. It was just like, it was like, look at me. I'm the asshole of the bunch. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, so the fact is, is that, you know, I just got done. I looked at Tim Maneer and I said, Hey man, let me, let me, I go, what are you doing? He goes, I'm writing the next episode. And I was like, awesome. He goes, I go, how is it? He goes, it's great. And I looked at him and I literally like did the whole throat cut thing. And I said, fucking kill me. Really? And he laughed and he goes, and yeah, he laughed and he goes, no way. Are you, are you serious? And I go, Tim, fucking kill me. Wow. I'm like, I was so done with the hand. I was so done of not being a superhero on a superhero show. <laughs> and, and literally. And so I guess he, t- he, br- he took that somewhere. I-, I don't know if it was him or not, but anyway, I think David Greenwald got a hold of it. I know Josh did. And they ended up giving me, um, they gave me my hand back. They gave me an evil hand. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, which was awesome. Which was great. <laughs> the worst thing about that was, is that the, the day we got it, no, I'm not going to get into that, but the, 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 yeah, the, anyway, fire so I, away. Got, I got my hand back. It's just me and David have been, no, nah, I can't talk about Boreanaz, man. Cause I'm, I don't really talk to him anymore, but it, sure. it was, um, all right. So we, <laughs> the day I got my hand back, <laughs> <laughs> We've been friends. We've been friends for too long, dude. You know exactly. (laughs) All right, here's the thing, man. The day I got my hand back, we walked in, and there was, and I get my hand back from a guy, and there was a bunch of people. There was a there was a lot of people. There was a lot of bodies and like you know CGI stuff and all that kind of stuff. But there was like a couple of amputees in there and stuff like that, and you know. And I was getting my hand back, and we, me and David, were so hungover from the night before. And we had a whole fight scene and all this other kind of stuff. So we were literally like, just, it was, it was, it was so bad. So I walked in and if you, if you ever watched that scene, me and David were really, really hungover. And, um, you know, he's going to get pissed at me. He's a Navy SEAL now, isn't he? Yeah. Yeah. He's on, uh, he's on the Navy SEAL show and on CBS right now. Whatever, dude. And so the, we were really hungover. I got my hand back. I got the whole thing. And, all of a sudden I had a hand and then I got a movie and I had to leave. And they, it was a really weird thing, man. It was just, it was just, it was a, it was a, it was a, it was a thing that I did. So I left, I left the show. I really can't talk about that because it's, but it's, but I left the show and then I went to, um, but I was still friends with David and I was in, and me and David were talking. I was in New York. I really wanted to come back. I thought it would be so great to come back. And I was in New York, and I was doing a film called Taxi with Jimmy Fallon and Queen Latifah. Queen Latifah, yeah. And, uh, you know, just just unbelievable, man. And th- those guys, we were having such a good time. And Joss Whedon called me in my hotel room and said, do you want to come back? And I said, are you kidding me, man? I would love to come back. It's Joss Whedon. Yeah. You know, I, which, which I think is one of the most brilliant people in television that's ever, that's ever hit the television I, scene. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. Yeah. And he said... Do you, do you want to come back? I said, so we've got a role. We, we want to bring your role back and all this other stuff. And I said, I would love it. And I said, Josh, and as, 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 as humble as I could, I said, man, I would love to come back. And I'm coming back no matter what. If you're asking me, I'm coming back because I love you. And I, and, but is there any way I couldn't get beat up anymore? Because I got beat up by every girl on the show. <laughs> Literally every girl on the show. And he said, yes. He goes, it's not going to be like that. You just trust me. I said, do you trust me? I said, yeah. So I came back. 
first scene up, my mom flies into town. David Boreanaz is directing. I'm in a strip joint with Spike, played by my good friend James Marshers. Yep. And he's kicking the crap out of me. And I just go, I look at Josh and I go, man, seriously? And he, because <laughs> I'm getting beat up again. And he goes, trust me. And I didn't know what the tattoos were for. He wouldn't tell me. I had all these tattoos on me and he wouldn't tell me what it was for. And I ended up getting the fight angel and ended up losing that fight, but pretty much won. And uh, it was a, it was a cool, it was a cool gig, man. And, and uh, once again, you know, there's a, there's a couple of people I can attribute, attribute my life to in this industry. And uh, one of them is, one of them is by far Josh Sweden, And he saved my life again. So He's uh, a really great guy. Yeah, it's amazing. The, the, the fans of Angel are uh, are rabid, to say the least. I did a gig a couple years ago um, with actually James, your, your buddy, James Marsters. Um, and yep. uh, he's he's also a musician. I I, uh, I hosted this this event. Uh, I, was, I want to say it was some Comic-Con in like Knoxville, Tennessee, and uh, brought yep. him to the stage. The fans of that show to this day are just rabid. It, I mean, it is insane. Do you still find that? Oh man, it's ridiculous. I mean, when when my my booth was next to James, and James has actually got a new uh, James has got a new show where he's with the Marvel Group, and we were in Australia. We just got back from Australia like a month and a half ago, two months ago, and me and James went to Australia, and we were with Stan Lee, and I think it was Stan Lee's final uh, final Comic-Con? convention, yeah, or Comic Con, yeah, <clears throat> and. Um, and so it was really crazy because it was like Stan Lee and then Millie Bobby Brown from Stranger Things and then me and then James. And James's line was was ridiculous, man. And it has a lot to do with um, with the fact of the new show that he's doing because Stan Lee – the reason I brought up Stan Lee was because Stan Lee ended up coming up on stage and welcoming, welcoming James to the uh, – to the Marvel universe. Ah, uh, it's great. Uh, I, I wish I could tell you right now, and I know exactly what I'm talking about. I just can't think of it right now. But James is in the new a new Marvel show, so it's like you know all this other kind of stuff. But but I'm telling you, like they bring me and James and charisma, and you know, they they charisma carpenters are still a very good friend of mine from Angel and all that kind of stuff. And yep. we go have dinner. And it's like people just people love her, and it's just it's a different thing, man. There was no there was no there was Star Trek, right. And then there was nothing. No, no, there, there was nothing else in that world. And I think that that, that show and, and obviously Buffy occupied that space. And at the time, um, you know, that was a huge uh, percentage of the population who wanted shows like that. And you guys were the only ones doing it. And uh, yeah, again, to this day, uh, the fans for that are, are crazy. I remember doing the new guy with Eliza Dushku. And every time we yep. went out to dinner, um, uh, at restaurants in town, she would be b- bombarded with fans from that series. And I was like, fuck, man, is it always like this? She was like, always like this. Uh, and again, even James Marsters to this day, like that, I think that, that Comic-Con thing was maybe a year and a half ago, two years ago, somewhere in there. The line, you're right, the line for his booth was was down around the block. And like he had to schedule it for hours of like, look, I'm only doing this for two hours today. And I was like, are you kidding me? Uh, and it was for that show. Yeah, no, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's absolutely ridiculous, man. I mean, me, me and David did one in Chicago. Me and Boreanaz did one in Chicago, just me and David. And uh, Stephanie Romanoff was there as well. And the line for the picture with just me and David, with, with me and David in the shot, went outside the whole thing, around the block, and down two streets. And it was pretty, it was, it was fantastic. Because, because of what I was seeing, it was like, it was like you had Star Trek, and then you had nothing. 
And the yeah, fact is, is once once Joss created vampires in a, in a in a in a in a you know a rural world, there was we were the next guys. We were the next guys in line. Buffy and Angel were the next guys to do to do uh, conventions. And now, you know, I don't want to take anything away from Comic Con because Comic Con's always been there and it's a huge thing. But even then, it wasn't that big. Right now, you've got Marvel heroes. You've got you've got all these guys coming in. You've got different shows. You've got different genres. But it was Star Trek conventions and the people that made fun of them. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and it was Angel and Buffy conventions and the people that made fun of them. And now it's Comic Con and the people that don't freaking go. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think to me personally, I think Buffy and Angel made that nerd culture cool. It made it big. It yeah. made it acceptable. And um, yeah. people come out of the fucking woodwork to go and meet the stars from that. And uh, yeah. yeah, yeah, it's it's crazy. Uh, if I'm with James or if I'm with Charisma or if I'm with anybody else, you're never going to you're never going to see, you know, it's that we, we're always going to have people there that are. And it's so crazy now because we're and I hate the fact that we're getting older, but we're getting older and yeah. it's it's it's. 20 year olds that go, man, I was watching you when I was 10, you know, yeah. it's just kind of, it's kind of incredible. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, there's a series I want to bring up. That was one of my favorites that you were on, um, called close to home. <laughs> and <laughs> the reason, Are you kidding me, man? <laughs> the reason why it's my favorite is <laughs> they, had, they had hired you to play like a, like a cool musician character. That did not happen um, <laughs> whatsoever. You you ended up holding the baby every episode. Um, for At the top of the show, you would kiss your wife goodbye. At the end of the show, you were holding the baby or through, like the middle of the show. And um, <laughs> I want to talk about that experience. such a dick. No, no, uh, no. It, it, for, for, the, for, the, for the listeners out there, you have to understand something. I was going through this when me and Ross and Crawford were going out and getting drunk every night on, on Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Yeah. So so you have to know that about <laughs> us. We so Ross went through this with me. Yeah. So what do you want to know, man? So if, so, so, so my <laughs> here's the what were what were you hired to do? What was the role of Jack Chase? <laughs> what was the role of Jack Chase? And what, and what was bring the... his name up? I forgot his name already, man. You brought his name up. So Jack All Chase, right. when you get that character in breakdown, who is tell the audience who he was supposed to be. So Jack Chase <laughs> I can't believe you found his name. So Jack Chase was Jack Chase was when I was hired. Jack Chase was a musician. He was a cool <laughs> he was musician. A musician. He was a cool musician. Yeah, he was a musician and he um he, he literally like was a you know, he was a construction worker, but he did like some some musician stuff. And I, I can't believe you're bringing this well, up. Well, here, because here's the thing. You're an amazing musician, which we're going to get to in a moment. But you're an amazing musician. And when you got that role, you were you were super excited. And you were like, man, I was. I'm going to get to play music. Uh, this is a really cool show. It's a really cool gig. Not only that, but you have to, you have to say something. I went, back to, I went back to, I remember the night that I went back and, and Ross was there. We, we are all, we're all hanging out of the house and Crawford was there and Ross was there. And I told him, I said, man, I just booked a Jerry Bruckheimer show. Yeah. Yeah, and you were. By the way, number one, on, number one on Friday nights on CBS. Huge network. Yeah, everything else. Huge network. Uh, so my, my, people love the show too. Like you know, I was number two on the call sheet. Yep. And I and I ended up. I was supposed to be a musician, and I was supposed to be a construction worker, and things didn't work out well. CBS had dropped to 
uh, procedural shows in the courtroom during that time, so I couldn't. So, so they, so they moved everything from the whole show, which was supposed to be it was called Close to Home, which were crimes happening close to home, which was how I de- how we dealt with it. Uh, the lead girl and me that just had a baby being next to stuff that happens in rural America. Right. You know what I mean? Like, the, like you say, it's not. It's, this is not downtown LA. This is like you know, backyard Ohio. Um, and so that was the whole thing. And it was supposed to be, you know, it was supposed to be a different show, but they, they lost procedurals. So they moved everything into the courtroom. And so there I am, I'm, I'm literally like number two on the call sheet. I got, I'm, I'm in 10 out of 22 episodes. I get turned to, you know, the guy that, that I know the story that you want me to tell. Oh, you... I, I know that I, the guy, I, I turned into the guy that's just, you know, every time she gets home, <laughs> one out of three episodes that's holding the baby. Yeah. Just go, you know, the Mr. Mom, which I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have mind playing Mr. Mom. Sure. But I just didn't want to do it one out of three episodes. <laughs> by the way, I, by the way, I still got paid. But yeah, yeah. You, you made a lot of money on that show, and which which is gonna which is gonna bring me to the yeah. point of this. So most people would have been super. You want me to tell the? You want me to tell the? the um, all right, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. So most people would have been. You want me to tell the Emilio Estevez story? Uh, wait, yeah, yeah, yeah. So most people would have been super amped to taking a huge paycheck and just holding a baby every episode. Because what what happened was she was out. Your wife in the show was out solving crimes all day, while you were taking care of the baby, this newborn baby that you guys had, and. Yeah. One day we were playing golf at uh, uh, the same place, the same, the same par three where they shot swingers at. And uh, it, was you, it was you, me, and, and Clay Crawford. We're playing par three, and your cell phone goes off, and they're like, hey, we need you to come. And we had been, you know, day drinking all day, and you were like, man, fuck this. Uh, you were like, man, I'm not going to go in just to hold the goddamn baby anymore. I'm 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 gonna take I'm gonna take matters into my own hands, and Clayne and I were like, "All right, cool. What are you gonna do?" And you're like, "Man, I gotta get killed by off the, the way, show by somehow." The way, you have to tell them that nobody was working at the time, and it was like, <laughs> no one. You know, like that's, that's a, when somebody gets a call when that phone rings, dude. We're all like, "What's going on? What are we doing? What are we doing?" Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? You have to you have to preface that. Yeah, I, I will because at the time, like, uh, work was work was hard. It, like, and none of us. I think me and Clayne were in between movies. Like, we hadn't. Got gotten gigs in like you know four or five months at this point we're like fuck what are we gonna do you were on a on a a, a highly rated cbs procedural show getting a ton of money and you were you were pissed about holding this baby um while your wife solved crimes all day so that day on the golf course you were like man i'm I'm gonna tell him to fucking kill me off and clan and i are like no don't do it it's so much money and you were like uh I'll get another TV show. Fuck it. And they killed you off in the most violent fashion of all time. What, what, yeah. did, you, what did you think when you read that script? They, I, I, I actually, I got on the phone. Man, I talked to Bruckheimer, Terry Bruckheimer, who's, I mean, everybody knows who. Biggest, biggest yeah, film producer of all time. And I said, will you take, and I, you know, it was, it, was, it was a couple of people on the phone. And I was like, this and I said, they said, will you take a divorce? And I said, you got it. And they called me back an hour later and they said, are you, will you show up? Which if they make me reoccurring, a la Angel, I don't have to show up. Right. So they said, are you going to show up? And I said, I will see. <laughs> so seven hours later, I get a call. 
and it's from Bruckheimer's people, and they said, you know, it was, it was, it was, in, it was Jerry, and I was like, I, I'm thinking I'm blackballed at this, uh, blacklisted. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah from it's just town. Be like, 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 nobody's ever going to work with you again. Like all this other stuff because you're not going to play ball with us and stuff like that. And they go, okay, you're dead. And I went from making more money, I think, at that time than I ever had before. And they said, we're going to kill you. And I said, thank you. Oh boy. Yeah. And I'll never, I'll never, I'll never forget that, man, because it was just like, I just, I just cut out a paycheck, but, but, but it's quality of life, man. It's quality of life. I really honestly don't give a shit about money when it comes to that stuff. It's quality of life. And I was not happy and I was not having a good time. And so they killed me and they said, it's going to be a horrible, horrible car accident. (laughs) But, but the, but the thing, the thing, the thing you skipped was was that I worked and I got and I got I got to bring this story up and I hate to I hate to I can't believe we're talking about That's fine. this show, this piece of shit show that I was on <laughs> for that long. But still, I one of those one of these directors came in and it was Emilio Estevez, which if, if you Young Guns man, I yeah. became an actor because of this guy. Yeah, you know what I mean. It was like it was like and he directed an episode, and he was like, he came in and he goes. So here's here's what I here's what I want, man. He goes he goes. She comes in, you know. You've got the baby. <laughs> she comes in, and uh, and you know you put the baby in the crib, and then you you you. She comes in, and then you she she makes some. You know you you get up. You're you're gonna make her some tea. I think was the thing. You get up. You make her some tea. Then you come back. You hand her the tea, and you start rubbing her back, her shoulders. Right. And she tells you, and that way I can get a two shot, which, you know, if you know anything about it, it's, it's, I can get a two shot of you over her. And she tells you about her day and we can get rid of some of this dialogue. Right. And so I get, a, I'm supposed to get up. I'm supposed to go make her some tea, come back into the room, hand her the tea and rub her shoulders. And I said, I love it, Emilio. I love it. Yeah. I said, or, or here's something we could do. I could I could be watching the baseball game on the couch, and she could come in and plop her ass on the couch and tell me about her day, and then you get a two shot there, and I really don't give a crap about what's going on. <laughs> you told this to Emilio Estevez. I told it to Emilio, and Emilio looked at me and he goes, he goes, he goes, you have to get off the show. <laughs> <laughs> and I said. And for the first time in my life, I go, oh, my God, you're absolutely right. I was like, I just, you know, yeah. And and Emilio, by the way, gave me something that I told Emilio that I told him that, you know, he was one of the reasons I became an actor. And he was he was he's an unbelievable director. He's an unbelievable director. He's an unbelievable person in life. And he gave me he dug in his drawer and found the last star um, from Young Guns 2 that he gave to the crew and the cast and the crew. And it says Young Guns 2, and on the back it says, I'll make you famous. Emilio. Oh, man, that's awesome. You still have from, that, right? From, I still have that. Yeah. Are you kidding me? I'll never, like, you had to pry that from my cold, dead hands. And I, I, I'll i never forget, I, I'm not saying anything about Emilio except for the fact that he was the one that literally goes, you got to get off this show. Because... You know, it was it was just it was killing me, man. You, you want to act? I don't give a shit about the money. You want to act? You want to be out there? You want to do all this stuff? And that show was not for me. 
Sure. Thank you, Ross, for bringing that up. Oh, you're welcome. Yeah. You're welcome. I, cause I, I remember, <laughs> I, if, if memory serves me correctly, you went back, to, you went to Nashville after that, and you called Clay and I, and I was up at his house on, on Friday night, and, and you were like, hey, man, my, my last episode is airing tonight. So I was like, oh, all right, cool. So we ended up watching it, and you back out of the driveway, your car backs out of the driveway, and then you just get destroyed by a truck. Like, <laughs> it was the most yeah. violent death of all time. And I was like, well, I think he's done with the show. I think he's all gone. It was, it was almost chef. <laughs> I was not, yeah. But I did see Jerry Bruckheimer um, a year and a half later. And uh, we were at the upfronts. And, uh, and Jerry was very cool with me. So I don't think that, uh, I don't think that I, blackball myself with Jerry. Jerry understood that I just wanted to work for him. I just wanted to do the best job that I could. And that, that, uh, that show was not allowing me to do it. No, I hear you. I hear you. I, I think one thing that that show did do for you though, because again, if memory, memory serves me correct, you went to Nashville and like you really started focusing on country music. Um, I did. And your band is, uh, look, you, you, the Caniacs, they call them, uh, your band Cane. You guys, you have some of the most diehard fans in music as well. And you're also arguably one of the most talented country musicians I've ever heard. Um, so tell the audience a little bit about that. Well, man, you're, you're also, you, you know, you're, 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 you're such a kind man. And, and, and that you're right. I was, I was doing, um, I got, I got a deal with Sony at the time. Uh, I didn't have one afterwards, but I got a deal with Sony at the time. So while I was doing that show, it allowed me to go, you know, they would call me and they would say, like, are you working on Tuesday? But it was like two months from, you know, because I wasn't on that show that much. And so I was, I was allowed to go to Sony and start doing a, uh, doing an album. Um, and I just, you know, it, it was, it was, it was so incredible because, you know, we used to play the Viper room here. We used to play the Viper room. We were playing for pussy and whiskey. I'm going to be honest with you. Yeah. It wasn't, you know, I mean, it was, it wasn't, it wasn't, we didn't, we didn't want money. We didn't want anything else. We just wanted to play. You know, there was, there was, there was whiskey out there and there was, there was, there was, there was girls out there that we wanted to impress. If I, if I can say that, sure. I don't know if I can say that this day and age, but I'm, you know, <laughs> yeah. that was, that's know, how it right? was. And so we were just, we were just playing because, you know, if we, and we played for four years, we had, uh, uh, I, um, uh, we were at the Viper room for four years, man. And all of a sudden somebody said, go to Nashville. So we went to Nashville and it became a business and it became something that I, I just honestly didn't love as much as some people would love. And I know that the Caniacs are out there, man. And they're just, they gave themselves that name. Yes. I love them so much. But the fact is, is it just became such a business and became something that how do we make money off these people? And I'm like, these are not the people you make money off of. These right. are the people you give a hug. These are the people that are, that are there with you and stuff like that. And it just became something that I just didn't want any part of, man. And, and, I, and I hate the fact that we're not playing as much music anymore as we should, but it was just bad. It was just, it just, it became, you know, the, the, the great thing about everybody talks about Nashville and I'm going to, I'm going to. Go ahead and talk about it, man, because I don't really give a sure, shit. Sure, sure. Nashville is in LA, Ross, you've been here for a long time. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Long me and time, you went yep. through this together. Yep. In LA, they will come up with you and they will stab you in the chest with a knife. Yeah. In Nashville, they go, Man, we think this is awesome, man. We think this is awesome. And they'll stab you in the back. Right. <laughs> At least you can see it coming in LA. In LA. You know yeah. What I mean? yeah. You can either block it or you can just take it. 
Yeah. But in Nashville, you never see it coming, man. And I just don't, you know, I wouldn't, I don't, I don't, and everybody gets upset with me because it's like, man, don't, don't make that kind of enemy in Nashville because they'll never play you. Well, I don't give a shit if they play me. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things with, you know, with the dawn of the internet and SoundCloud and all this stuff, you're, you're able to put up your own music now. So you're not dependent on somebody in Nashville to, to put your music out. Whereas before, you know, uh, you had to get published by by one of the big ones, or your music wasn't getting out there. Now you have the opportunity to get it out to whoever you want. So, uh, yeah, talking shit about it's fine. Same way with Hollywood, in, in a sense, where the social. I'm really not talking. I mean, yeah, but you have to understand it's the same thing. But I'm re- I'm really not talking shit about it, to be honest. No, with you. no. Just, I'm just telling you that mm. I just don't. I'm just not gonna. You know, I didn't. I didn't have the. You know, they didn't want me. They they were like, oh well, here's an, and when I say Nashville, people think I'm talking about the town Nashville. Nashville actually spreads out across the the the, the, the damn globe. Yeah, yeah. And and the fact is, is that you know Nashville is not Nashville, not the town Nashville. Nashville is people in Chicago, people in Minnesota, people in 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 Florida, people in New York. People they don't realize that if you don't get when I say Nashville, Nashville is a is a is a conglomerate of all the radio stations out there. Yeah. And what they didn't want was an actor, quote unquote, that is now coming to the country music side of things. And what they don't understand is that I became an actor the same day I became a singer. Right. In the sense of name wise, because I was a country singer on Fame LA, which again we'll go back to as my first role. Yeah. But the deal is is that they just they don't get the fact we don't want an actor out there. We don't want an actor because he's going to go away. You know what I mean? And I, and I caught a lot of crap because of uh, John Corbett and, uh, you know, a bunch of other people that were actors that were going to hit the country music thing and all this other stuff. And I was like, you know, you don't want an actor. You don't want an actor to be in this thing, but you have no problem. You have no problem rolling out the red carpet when Tim McGraw does a fucking movie. Oh yeah. Yeah. It's a, it's a whole different story. Which, then. I, which by the way, I did with him, which was Friday night lights. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, so it's like, it's like you have no problem when one of your guys makes it great, but you won't let one of us in there to just try to get to people what we want to be heard, which is our voice and our heart and, and everything else, the, the songs that we wrote. And especially somebody that takes it seriously. Most people don't realize this. I didn't phone it in, man. You know this about me, dude. You, oh, yeah. you of all people know this about me. I lived in fucking Nashville for eight years. Yeah, yeah. You weren't like the Hollywood guy who was staying in Hollywood, kind of dabbling there. Like you full on moved to Nashville and, and moved to Nashville. Yeah, you picked up your shit and and dude, you were uh, you were opening up for huge people like Toby Keith. Uh, Toby uh, Brooks and Dunn. Brooks and Dunn, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, Big and Rich at the time. I opened up for Big and Rich, who opened up for Brooks and Dunn. But yeah, man, we were playing with. Uh, you know, I was doing stuff with I was doing stuff a long for a long time, man. I mean, I, it's a lot of people don't know this. I was playing at this little place called Chi Town. I don't think it's there anymore on Demarion in Nashville. I was playing I was playing with Jared Neiman and Jamie Johnson and Lee Bryce and you know all this other kind of stuff. Me and um, yeah, and it's uh, Lee Bryant and I would play hacky sack outside while we were recording at Reba McIntyre studio, which is, uh, which I love by the way, if you're ever going to record a record or anything at all, go to starstruck at Nashville because Reba does it right. Reba, okay. I'm, I'm such a huge fan of hers. And, uh, you know, I'm playing hacky sack with Lee Bryce it's, it, or, uh, with Lee Bryant. And, and, you know, I, I knew all these guys before they were who they were. Jamie Johnson was the guy who walked me into Sony. They got me my deal at Sony. They kind of kicked the whole thing off. Man, that's incredible. You know, and, and in one and in one day, well, not one day, but about a two week period, 
they canceled um, they canceled Arista, which was they canceled they kept Miranda Lambert, rightly so, right, but wrongly so. They fired Montgomery Gentry, Christian Kane, Jamie Johnson, and Leonard fucking Skinnerd. Oof, buddy, uh, <laughs> that's insane, man. Uh, you don't cancel Skinner. Skinner cancels you. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But, I mean, if you actually think about it, and if you're a Jamie Johnson fan, Jamie Johnson's wrote half the country songs that we listen to today. Yeah, still. You know? I still. mean, it's like, yeah. And you picked up you picked up uh, the house rules for the uh, Barnes Brothers. For, yeah, for Barnes Brothers, for our, for our MTV show. Absolutely. That's one of my favorite songs. Matter of fact. Can it, you still see? Can you ever see the Barnes Brothers? Can you? Can, can the viewers out there or the listeners out there? Can they view the Barnes Brothers? Oh yeah, it's it's, it's on YouTube, and uh, we're we're gonna we'll, we'll pop up another <laughs> copy on Facebook. But uh, so I was gonna go I was gonna go in and play a, a role. Yes. And uh, I guess you said what was it? Cousin Kenny. Can you pin him? Yeah, Can but you I pin him? was it or was it Cecil? I think it was Kenny. Um, it was all right. A, it well, was a, yeah, I, I was gonna play. I was gonna play the cousin coming in, all that kind of stuff. But if you listen to the Barn Brothers, you can hear a little bit of the house rules. Yeah, you, which you know, was my which was my number, which was my single, my first single that was out. You know what? In fact, at the end of this episode, I'll stick the, I'll stick house rules on the end of this episode. That way, the the audience can hear it. Um, it's, it's, Dude, I think it's, you should. Still, yeah, I will. It's still one of my favorite uh, country songs of all time. Um, and right when I got done, right when I got done recording that, I came back to Los Angeles and. Uh, and we were, we it was, it was me and Ross and Crawford, and we all were sitting around in uh, Sonny's place, and we were in the, we were in the kitchen, and I played it for him, and uh, on a CD, yeah, and uh, and it was just, uh, and it was, it was, it was my honor, man. I was just, I was so proud of that thing, and I got to play it, and Crawford and Ross, I mean, both you guys just, just literally like. Lost it. You were, Lost it. We were yeah, we, we were like two fans. I, I, it's because it's one of those things where you know. Couldn't have been a better night for me. Yeah, well, but it's one of those things where you're you're best friends with somebody, and then you hear this unexpected talent come out of them, where it's like, oh fuck, I, I, goddamn, like, because to me, like, I listen to a lot of music, and and to me, that was a number one hit single where. I, you know, I, I was like, Jesus Christ. I, I felt like we had discovered something that nobody else knew about yet. And uh, right. if, if that were able to hit main radio the way it should have been, I think that would have been number uh-huh. one for fucking ever, man. Um, I think so, man. I'll, I'll look. I'll, I'll, I we'll think, let the audience be the judge, I, and I'll put it on the end right. of the show for sure. But uh, t- right. to this day, arguably one of my favorite country songs of all time. Um, but you came well, look. Thank you, thank you. Yeah, you, you came back, and then uh, how did leverage enter enter your life? Leverage entered. Do you have time for this, dude? Yes. It's like a two-hour yes. goddamn conversation. It does, right, doesn't so matter. Like we is, we go forever. It doesn't matter. Leverage entered, and in, in, uh, I was in Nashville, and I was uh, I was working on the album, and I got a couple of uh, I got a I got a film called Hide, and I won't get into that. But it was uh, between me and some of the guy, and I was like, "Listen, I'm not going to do this film. I'm working on albums, and it's 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 so funny because it's the whole Kevin uh, Bacon thing. Uh, what was that movie he did, man? You got to help me out on this. Where he where he went away? He wrote a strip, but he went away, and he went on a picnic with it. Nobody touched it for like three years, but he went on a picnic, and nobody could get a hold of him. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I can't remember the name the, of it. The, the I... last picture, the big picture, yeah. the big picture. Yeah, that's it. And so it was like one of those things where it's like, you know, once you're gone, they need you. And so I said, listen, I'm not doing that. I'm doing this. And I got a film. And then I came back and I said, I'm not doing TV. I'm not doing TV. I had, I had enough of that bad thing with the, with the whole 
uh, CBS thing where I wasn't going to do TV. And then somebody said, oh, this is a story. Okay. So they sent me a script. My agent sent me a script, and it was called Leverage. And I said, all right. So I opened the script, and I read that They said they really want you to play Elliot Spencer. And, and I didn't know who did it or anything like that. And they said, just look at it. And I was like, Elliot freaking Smith. Elliot? Elliot Spencer. Yeah. I just got done playing Wick Lobo. <laughs> Wick Lobo. I just got done playing Lindsay McDonald. Yeah. And now his guy, this guy's name, Elliot. Why can't I get a name like Drake? Yeah. You know, Tank, Tank Williams. This is Tank Williams. Yeah, exactly. Like yeah. something like that, man. I just can't, you know, it's like Elliot Spencer. So I look it up and it says, Elliot walks into a bar wearing wire rim glasses, sipping on tea. <laughs> And you were that's like, that is the perfect role for me. I've found yeah, my that's home. all I read. And I took and I and I and I and I folded the script and I threw it over on the couch. And this is a and that's it. Well, this is a pretty famous story. I threw it over on the couch. I missed the couch. It hit the wall. I went behind the couch. Okay. My agent calls back two days later and said, "What do you think, man? They really want to see you for this." And I'm like, "I'm gonna go. This is not the role for me." And they said, well, John Rogers kind of wrote it and, you know, with you in mind. And I'm like, John Rogers, you know, who is uber famous, John Rogers, like he created comic books almost other than Stan Lee. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, are oh, you got to be kidding me? I'm like, John Rogers. And they said, yeah, Dean Devlin is producing. I'm like, Dean Devlin, Dean Devlin, they created Independence Day. They created Stargate. Yeah. They created, you know, did, did Godzilla, the Patriot, all this other stuff. I'm like, what are you? I go, what? Yeah. So I dive under the couch into the spider webs and the cobwebs, and I, you know, that says a lot about where I lived at, at the time. But sure. I grab this thing, I pull it out, I open it up, I fly through it. My agent's on the phone. I'm like, Elliot Spencer. I'm like, oh, again, wearing wire rim glasses, sipping on tea. Are you kidding me? Sixteen people pull guns out and he kicks the shit out of all of them. I went, what? It was another <laughs> line. It was another line that I didn't read. It was the only line I didn't read. And I'm not sure if this got me the role or if it had anything to do with anything. But I like, I go, I'm on a plane right now. I got on a plane. I flew back to Los Angeles. They had already seen people for my role, right? Because I was so late in getting it done because I was being cocky and I never read the script. That's why I never ever not read a script anymore. I literally thought it was going to be just like, you know, I was like, you know, I'm not going to play some douchebag that, you know, it, so I get there, they're auditioning the girls. I'm the only guy that comes in and I audition and John Rogers is in the room and I got the role. That's crazy. So how, how long did you, was, how long when you auditioned, did you find out? Cause they don't give you the role in the room. I had flown back the next day. So when I, as soon as I auditioned, uh -huh. I knew that I had the role. I, I, I literally like, like we went into, uh, we went into, here's a great, here's a really great story. We, so, so the next day I auditioned and the next day they called me in for the, the, the final, you know, the testing, which uh, some, some of the listeners may not know testing is me and Ross have been a part of this yeah, twice yeah, against yeah. each other. Um, so what testing is, is that they do the whole deal, but now you got to go in and audition one more time and see if you get the role. Yeah. And they negotiate, so you, you negotiate your contract ahead of time. So you know how yeah. much, how much money yeah. you're going to make. 
You're gonna know you're yep. you're knowing all of it walking into that room, which adds to the pressure. Because then you're like, all right, shit, this is how much money I could be because they, throwing yeah, they away. Tell yeah, you, they tell you you're gonna make like you know you're gonna make two dollars, and you're gonna be on contract for five years. So you walk in, and let's be honest about it, it's a little more than two dollars. Yeah. So you know for a fact, you know for a fact you're gonna make you're gonna make some money. You know for a fact that if you book this in the next thirty minutes, yeah. You're set. You're set for either like I was five years or even one year. Yeah. Or it was a pilot. So, but even that man, it's a new car. You know what I mean? Fuck so yeah, it's it like, is. Yeah. So it's like so it's huge, man. That's amazing, man. That's amazing. Well, hey, look that that'll bring me to to the the end here uh, with with the librarians, which is your current show that you're starring on. How many how many seasons are you guys into librarians right now? Man, we're four seasons in. Wow. Which is ridiculous. For and, a show. And you finally got a cool name. You're Jake Stone on this show. Um. Finally. I'm Jake Stone, man. And you know what? It's that, it, it, was, it was such a, it was such a, it was a cool, he was like, you're going to play Jake Stone. I'm like, that's cool. That's a cool name. But after all the times playing kind of pussy ass names, it, it, I was like, well, it's too tough. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> now you don't want it anymore? After, after starting, yeah, I don't want it anymore, man. I after starting wanted, you know on I mean? television like, for, for 20 you years. Harder. Yeah. 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 It's like after you get all these names that just really that, that, that don't that don't have any toughness to them. Yeah, you sort of want the you know because because it makes me strive to to be that guy. You know what I mean? When yeah. you get Elliot Spencer, you you fight to 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 make sure that everybody knows your name. But now that you're Jake does. Stone, it's it's like ah, oh, he's already cool. Like Jake Stone's already yeah, a cool he's already guy. cool. He's already got it going on. Yeah, I was very fortunate, man. I uh, I, I I I was I we we I left Leverage. And uh, in the off season, um, which which I'm I'm telling you this story to tell you the next one, which I ended up getting the role with uh, Chris Downey wrote a was writing on uh, King of Maxwell, and he wrote a role, or he brought me in to play a role that that was uh, Rebecca Romaine's brother on King of Maxwell, which is um, you know a very famous novelist. He, he they they. They brought me in to play her brother, and it was like it was kind of because Rebecca's a really, really tall girl. I don't know if you know that. Yeah, she's uh, she's about six, she runs about six feet. Um, I met her a few times when she she's was. Little, she might be a little over that, but but it's yeah, exactly. She, yeah, she's she's and tall. So I come in to play her brother, and uh, you know, I, and I'm like, and it was it was really fun because me and Rebecca had such a good time. We had such a good time, and the two most important scenes of the whole show were filmed right when I met her. Like I shook her hand and then we filmed it all day, which was the f- opening scene and the end scene. And we had such a good time. And uh, I said, do you want to talk about the, uh, the elephant in the room? And she was like, you know, the giraffe. I'm like, yeah. So <laughs> she's way taller than I am. And so she like, she's like, you want to, you want to do all this stuff? And I was like, yeah. And so we did this whole scene where let's talk about it. Let's make fun of it. And I was like, that's perfect. So she has this giraffe thing where she's like, you know, and don't talk about the giraffe thing. She holds a spoon. If you ever get to see that King and Maxwell episode, it's unbelievable. And then the following year, like eight months later, I ended up getting a show with Rebecca playing this. So I, I was actually Rebecca's brother. Wow. In another show. That's hilarious. And so then we, yeah, and then we both get this show, and I was very fortunate because I had, I felt like that you know I John Rogers and Dean Devlin both enjoyed what I did on Leverage, and so they wrote this role for me. There was no no audition, know, no audition, no casting, no nothing. Man, it was me. Uh, they wrote it for me. That's amazing. I mean, I that never happens. They wrote it for yeah, that never happens. It doesn't happen. It never happens. 
And um, and so I was so I was so fortunate to be able to just come in and 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 play again with my boss and play again with with uh, the creator of the show, John Rogers, and all that other kind of stuff. Who knew me and who you know who's written for me for years, and Dean Devlin, who's written for me and directed me for years, and all that kind of stuff. And Jonathan Frakes again, who's directed me all through Leverage, which is you know that's number one on Star Trek. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Star Trek. Yeah, yeah. and uh, you know it's a. So it was, uh, it was, we played Riker and, um, and all of a sudden I've got another job just out of nowhere. I just got another job out of nowhere. That's and it amazing. Just, it's like, it's like, yeah. And like I said, man, I've got, I really got a Cinderella story, but the fact is I work hard every day. I show up every day. If you need me, I'm there. Yeah. You know I mean, I just don't, I don't, I don't play around with it. I don't. I don't, well, something's going to come to me. I don't do that. I go and get it, man. Yeah, 90% for sure. 90% of life is showing up. 90% of life is showing up, and you learn to fight by fighting. Yeah, it is. And again, hey, happy Father's Day. Woody Allen said that. Woody Allen said that. <laughs> You're killing me, man. <laughs> <laughs> Christian Kane, look, you're one of my best friends. I've known you for almost 20 years. Uh, thank yeah. you for being on the show. Um, you've had a fantastic career, and uh, I can't wait to see what is in store for you in the future, my man? I love you to death. Dude, I love you, boy. I love you to death, man. It's been so good being your friend. God dang, man. I'm so proud of you with everything that you're doing. I know that most people probably won't say this, but I, I know you, man. I know you. I've known you for, like you said, 20 years, dude. And I'm just telling you, I'm so proud of your success, and I'm so proud of what you're doing, and I'm so proud that people are are, are listening to you because, God Dang, man. Anything that comes out of this cat's mouth is worth listening to. I'm just telling you. <laughs> I love you, boy. I, I really appreciate love you. it, man. I, lo I love you, too. Thank you for the kind words. And, uh, man, I'll, 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 I'll call you tomorrow. Call me tomorrow. <laughs> All right. Take care, buddy. Bye, boy. That was Christian Kane, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, fun fucking dude, man. Um, again, we've been friends for a very long time. And... Uh, God damn it. He always makes me laugh. I don't know if you've heard me laugh that hard on an episode before, but uh, the, the, the hands, the missing of the hands story and the, the hold the baby story are the two of my favorites in, in, in Hollywood uh, forever in my life. And uh, <laughs> I'm super grateful he was on the show. He's fantastic. Uh, check out his music too. It's on iTunes. Um, check out Kane and uh, check out House Rules. Uh, as a matter of fact, I'm going to play it for you right now. Uh, I'm Ross Patterson. This is The Revolution. Good night, everybody. This is House Rules by Kane. <laughs>